This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Alyssa Westering to the show. Alyssa will talk about how parents can tap leadership to thrive in life and career. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am as well, and I'm really, really intrigued by this topic. Tell me how you got interested in learning about the dynamics of being a working parent. So it's interesting because I've been thinking about this stuff since long before I became a parent myself. As a college student, I started to think about how I was going to have this career that I desired and be successful in my career. But also, I knew that I wanted to be a mom, that I wanted to be not just have the kids, but actually be really engaged in parenting. And I knew from an early age that those were both really important to me. And I actually went to grad school with this idea in mind to study how people make career and family decisions and how they can do so in a way that allows them to thrive in all parts of life. Um, My work on parenting has been sort of a natural outgrowth of that, but I've really been thinking about this from the perspective of the person in their whole life, regardless of whether they're a parent or not. That is fascinating. I'm not a parent, true confession, but I have so many friends who are, and my brother and sister are parents, so I am certainly an aunt and understand that role. But you talk so beautifully in the book about how the role of a parent is truly similar to the role of of a CEO or, or some other leader in a business. Tell us more. So what we found um, throughout our years of working, and this is myself and my collaborator, Stu Friedman, is that when people see themselves as leaders and learn to act like leaders in all parts of their life, they're better able to make choices that align with their values and to communicate those choices to other people. So When we think about being a parent, it actually is a lot like being a leader. You want to have, know your values, communicate them, bring your children uh, in with you to become the kind of people that you're hoping to raise. So we want to open these, these skills of leadership up to parents so we can stop acting like micromanagers, right? A lot of us know what it means to be a good leader in the workplace. And then we get home and we say, why haven't you done this? When are you going to finish your homework? Here's this chore. Here's what we need to be doing. And right, we turn into these obnoxious micromanagers that we would hate to work for. And um, we forget that we actually probably know quite a bit about how to be a leader and how to lead with our values and how to bring those into uh, the workplace. We just want parents to remember to do that uh, at home. And it makes everything better. It makes work better too, when we're doing those those things in our personal life. You know, I love that because as a coach, I work with teams and help develop leaders and think about team culture and engagement. And that dynamic is certainly relevant to a family as well. Absolutely. Everything that we know about leadership development is, is applicable. And it's the same sort of skills um, that probably that you teach, right? having a sense of self-awareness, knowing your values, engaging with stakeholders in honest and open ways, you know, being reflective, trying new ways of doing things. All of those essentials of leadership development are the exact same tools that we're inviting parents to bring uh, into their home life and to see themselves as a team 
with their partner in parenting, if they have one, with their community um, in raising the next generation. It makes absolute sense. But but here's the obvious question, at, at least yeah. for me as a non-parent, right? So sure. why don't working parents think of themselves as leaders. I mean, this is your area of expertise, obviously. So you you have a leg up, right? But but why don't most just connect those obvious dots? Well, I think so many of us have been trained to see leadership and to define leadership as something that you do when you have formal authority in a workplace. So we're not leaders until we're, we have subordinates or until somebody decides that we're a leader and gives us that title. Um, so just beginning to see ourselves as leaders in all parts of our life is something um, that I guess isn't really intuitive. And I think a lot of us also, and maybe this is particularly true of women, have this sort of bias about what leadership looks like. It's authoritative, it's confident, it's assertive, it's goal-oriented, and that maybe we don't necessarily resonate with leadership in that form so we don't necessarily think about how we can be leaders because we don't see ourselves as fitting into that mold of leadership. So part of this is for ourselves is rethinking what it means to be a leader and what leadership could look like in our own lives. You know, I'm also fascinated because your co-author, Stuart Friedman, is uh, by his definition a boomer grandfather and you're, yes. a, you're a millennial mom, right? So this yes. is beautiful juxtaposition of, of generational viewpoints of leadership. How, how did that impact not only collaborating on the book, but your leadership roles as parents, respectively, and in Stu's case, even a grandparent? Right. So I reached out to Stu when I was a grad student because I was doing very sort of high level academic statistical research. And then the end goal was to publish these academic journal articles that if you're lucky, 50 people read. And I was having sort of a crisis of why did I go to grad school? What's the point of this whole thing? And I saw that Stu has the same you know, background, same degree as I do, but he was really on the front lines of trying to help people. So I've been working with Stu almost half my life. So when you think about our relationship, you know, he's, he's been really, you know, his worldview has really informed my own. And I've been lucky to have that sort of in the background playing as I became a parent and as I entered my you know, my first job here at DePaul University. Now I've been here for 13 years, but it was all sort of playing in the background and, and shaping my view. And so to work with him on this, not only allowed him to sort of continue to mentor me, but also for me to introduce him to some of the ways that I'm looking at things and thinking about things. He didn't, it didn't occur to him to write about guilt. <sighs> <laughs> and like to me, he's a guy. That is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, lucky for you, really. Um, but you know, for myself and for so many of the working moms that I know, guilt is sort of the thing that we want to get rid of. Right. right? It's that feeling of we're never doing enough. So I was able to sort of show him what you know, millennial mom, millennial parents, and just you know what we're thinking about and how we're thinking about these things. You know, for a man in his late 60s to be talking about work, life, leadership, you know, it's revolutionary. It was revolutionary at the time for a man to be saying those things. For me, 
everybody I know is talking about work-life balance, right? This is part of our vernacular. It's not revolutionary to be thinking and talking about these things. Um, but I was able to hopefully add some nuance and, and allow him to see it through a perspective of somebody who's going through it in the moment. That's awesome. Well, it is a great collaboration and you really feel that, that beautiful, rich and robust multi-generational perspective. So I'm delighted that you came together. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah, me too. I'm really lucky, um, you know, that he has included me in his journey as well. Yeah. So now, uh, you know, speaking as a parent and someone who's focusing on leadership, what are some of the skills that parents listening should adopt to make their home life smoother, smoother, because this sounds logical. It sounds great, but I know that we've got people shaking their heads saying, okay, how how do I put this into practice? Absolutely. And let me be the first person to say it's not easy because what we're asking people to do is take a step back from their busy everyday life and to stop and pause and think and talk. And it's sort of a leap of faith to think, to believe that investing the time up front to do this work is going to pay off in the end. And it's not a leap of faith for me because I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people who say it's worthwhile. Um, But for somebody who's just trying to, you know, get through their to-do list and get their kids to bed so they can have a moment to breathe, that leap of faith is hard. And I know it's hard. Um, So, you know, the first thing I would ask is just, you know, think about, you know, can you afford the time now? Because it does seem to pay off when you learn how to invest your most precious resource, which, which is your attention, when you invest it really intelligently, it makes things faster and smoother later on. Um, so, so that's the first thing. And then we always start with values. Um, and how can you get really clear on what matters most to you as an individual Um, in your career, as a parent? And then how do you communicate that with the people who matter most to you, whether it's your boss, your parenting partner, um, and your children? So just starting the work of bringing values into the equation um, is really a good place to start. So instead of the because I said so or just do it, saying here's what we value, here's how this behavior aligns with a particular value or aligns with that value. So let me, let me ask a quick question. Forgive me for interrupting, but values just light me up because it's such a fundamental core of career development, but I, I get it loud and clearly that this is, this is very relevant in our families. So do you as a mom have a conversation with your kids to say, what do you value? Can they grasp that at, at their age? So it, it, you know, Having age-appropriate conversations about these things is something that we write about in the book. But I can say from my own personal experience that it's something that evolves with the children. So when my kids were really little, right as I was starting to write this book, I think my daughter was probably three when I started uh, this process, we, we drew out a little family flag with our core values. And it was kindness, fairness, fun. And a three-year-old can get that. And now what I'm really enjoying as they're getting older is adding some sophistication to those same values. So fairness for a three-year-old means everybody gets the exact same thing, right? We divide it up equally. But now we can start to talk about social justice, right? How do 
you know, how does fairness look when everybody's not given the same opportunities or the same privileges or people have different needs, right? Even between her and her brother, fairness doesn't necessarily mean that they get the exact same thing at the exact same time. So the conversation can evolve and we can incorporate more complex discussion of values, um, but they, they're in it. They get it. I probably have been training them um, from the get-go to have those sorts of conversations. Um, but, you know, it's it's been a real pleasure as a parent to get to watch them have sort of an evolving understanding of what values mean as well. I think it's great. And, and what a gift for them to experience it at a young age, because it certainly impacts how they see the world as they grow up. Absolutely. And, you know, they're at, you know, at a young age, they, they know things are happening in politics. They know things are happening in terms of climate change. You know, there's, they have concerns and fears about the world. And I think giving them values and talking about values gives them a language uh, to communicate back with us uh, as well. I love it. Alyssa, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So, Alyssa, before the break, we were talking about things that you've done in your family that have made a difference in your own life. Would you give us a, another example? Because I think it's so helpful for the global audience to think about how did you put this into practice as they read the book, thinking, okay, how do I make this work in my home? Sure. So I am um, just a grab bag full of examples. And some of my favorite examples are times when things didn't work. Right. So we are asking people to try to make small changes and then to be okay with the fact that it doesn't always work out um, as we planned. So I'll give an example of something that didn't go exactly as I was hoping. Um, I have found a new fitness love. Um, and I don't know if I can name drop, but now I'm a, I've joined the Orange Theory cult and um, I'm into it. And my children were giving me grief about on the weekends going to the gym in the mornings, they wanted me to stick at home. So I did exactly what my book would tell me to do, which is talk about our values of being healthy and that it helps me to be the best mom I can be if I take time for myself to do this. And I went through the whole spiel, just like I would recommend anybody would. And then my kids said, okay, yeah, we hear that, but also don't go to the gym. And I was like, but the book, wait a minute. Yeah. The book said that now you're supposed to get it because I've articulated my values and that didn't happen, but I felt less guilty knowing that I had made myself clear and that, you know, maybe five years down the road or 10 years down the road, they're going to hopefully appreciate that I took that time to invest in myself or they might be willing to make choices, um, that support their own health because they've seen me do it. So the rationale and the logic and the feeling it gave me was good, even though, um, you know, the result of that conversation wasn't exactly what I had hoped. Another thing we're, we're doing, we had this thing in our family where 
every night after dinner, we were spending all of our time um, debating, to put it nicely, what we should do as a family if we had 30, 45 minutes, an hour um, of family time, because my kids don't really have that much homework yet. And we would spend so much time debating it. Everybody was frustrated. Everybody was annoyed. And we never end up doing anything as a family. People would either go off and do their own thing, or we'd end up turning on the TV as sort of a backup of just enough of this debate. So the first thing we tried was assigning different activities to different nights of the week. So like Monday was arts and crafts and Tuesday was board games and Friday was movie night. And it worked for a little bit. And then we found out, oh, well, what happens, you know, if somebody likes arts and crafts, but Monday there's a lot of homework, then that person feels upset or like things aren't fair. And as I mentioned, fairness is a big one in our house. So we came up with a new system where, so that experiment didn't quite work. We tried a new way, which is everyone has a different color poker chip. And anytime we have at least 45 minutes of family free time, we pull a poker chip out of the bag and whoever gets picked, it's their turn to decide the activity for the evening. And you don't get your poker chip back, put back in the hat till everybody's had a turn. And if you don't, make a good faith effort to participate, then you don't get your turn. And it's really not all that different of an experiment from the arts and crafts on Mondays and movies on Fridays, but it was a slight tweak that actually works a lot better for us because everybody knows that they will have an opportunity to pick what they want to do. And that includes the parents. My husband's really the board game guy, and he knows that at least every four times he can force us all to play board games and uh, we won't complain too much. And we end up actually having a lot of fun. Um, but I think why that experiment works so well is, of course, it takes the stress out of that time of our day and everybody's having more fun. And that helps us live, you know, our very specific family values. But it also helps me my mental health because I'm not stressed out about fighting with them. I don't need an hour of TV afterwards to just like recover mentally after they go to bed. You know, sometimes I can even pick my work back up and do a little work or spend some time, you know, talking with my husband. So the ripple effects of that change are small, but noticeable. So we're really not, we're really not asking people to overhaul their whole life. And I think that's a mistake, a misconception is that people think in order to do this better, I have to just throw everything out the window and start from scratch. And we do have some people who do dramatic things like quit their job and travel the world. Um, but more often than not, it's these small tweaks that allow people to feel like they're gaining something in all parts of their life, not making trade-offs. So I'd, I'd like to talk about balance because yeah. you do address this in the book yes. and you know, it, everybody's time starved. Mm -hmm. I, I'm trying to edit out the word busy and yeah. not use it okay. because yeah. it, it's just, it's ubiquitous and, and it just drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to get your take and, and, and Stuart's vision about how you really are seeking to debunk the myth of balance. Absolutely. Tell me more. So, and, and Stu's really the anti-balance evangelist. Um, he's been saying balance is BS for a long time. And that's because for many people, it often conjures up the image of like a scale where if you want 
better work, you have to give up something in family or give up sleep, right? It really evokes this idea of, of a trade-off for a lot of people and a scale. Um, I'm, and well, I guess Stu might listen to this, I'm less concerned um, about the actual word balance, but I like to think of it as um, having a balance between what you value and how you spend your time and energy. So it's not necessarily a balance of, you know, I spend three hours at work, then three hours with my kids, then three hours of sleep, right? We know that life doesn't go like that. But if you can start to bring how you dedicate your attention and how you use your energy in line with what you care about most, um, that's what I think all of us are striving for, whether we call it balance or integration or harmony or synergy. Yeah, what I took away from it uh, was uh, what resonated with me was that uh, concept of prioritizing, right? And it's not the same priority all the time, every week, it changes. But honoring that ability to make choices that prioritize what energizes you at any given moment in time. Because you're right, the balance is just such a bad visual, right? And and there there's no such thing as that consistent symmetry all the time. It just doesn't exist. Exactly. Um, and I think that's why we really want to get people away from that mindset. Because when you see the world that way, any change that you can think of is probably going to be a change that takes more of one to give, le- you know, to the other, right? It just keeps you locked in that mindset of of trade-offs, which is really uh, not that creative and, and not that exciting. Alyssa, I learned so much from you today. Thank you Thank for you. spending time with me on the show. It was just a treat. And I'm gifting your book to all my oh parent my friends goodness. and to thank my you. to my brother and sister. So thank you, thank you. On behalf of, of them, they're they're gonna be very excited. Oh, I'm delighted I, to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. But I want to tell our global audience all about your book and your phenomenal co-author, Stuart Friedman wrote Parents Who Lead, the leadership approach you need to parent with purpose, fuel your career, and create a richer life. And of course, it's available on Amazon and at all major book retailers. I know you've got some great global events coming up, so I wish you great success. Thank you. And I hope our paths continue to cross. Absolutely. Me too. Thanks, Alyssa. Be well. Take care. And if you like our show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review because this helps new audience members find us online. And let me know what career-minded issue you would like to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at Higgins. And a special shout out to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.